0: Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top. Schumich <laughs> break back. Across the ground. And In comes Donnie Wurfle. Got it out to a kick. Oh. Kick smothered. Chick. Hunter. Who would really have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? only Spin. Grips. Goal. Superb from the Eagles. Kicks inside. 50. McGovern. McGovern. What a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect yes. The Eagle has landed for the Premier's
1: in 2018! G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll sweep an unfortunate season finale under the rug. We'll talk contracts, all Australian selections, AFLW, and injuries, plus we'll tell you the reasons for optimism and causes for concern as we head towards finals. I'm your host, Honey Badger. 35 I am joined this week by Miguel Sanchez. How are you?
0: Uh, yeah, not so good. Um, a week is a long time in footy. Uh, this time last week, we were sort of, even though we'd lost, we were sort of still joint flag favourites with Richmond, and uh, now we're also Rams. So, yeah, uh, not as good as this time last week, definitely.
1: No, no. Very bad week for the Eagles, very bad week for the Eagles board and you will, uh, well if you're listening to this you know the reason why but we'll unpack the reason why very shortly but first let me also introduce back onto the pod, Mr KK, how are you?
2: Yeah, still a bit flat, it was a utterly shithouse weekend of sport with the Eagles and the cricket, weeks long time in footy and this uh, two weeks to the next game feels like it's a month.
1: Yeah, I mean we've all had a few days now to sit and simmer and think about what went wrong and what could have been so... We might as well rip the Band-Aid off now. Let's get stuck into the Hawks game. West Coast Eagles, 9-13-67, were defeated by Hawthorne, 16-9-105. There's not a lot to say about this one. It was a must-win game, and we lost. Uh, The Hawks had all the intensity. They were first to the ball. Pretty much just a shocking evening at the footy and there's not much that needs to be said about it. So let's race through this one and then fire it into the sun. KK, I'll start with you. What did you make of the game?
2: Yeah, as bad as it was, there were were still the teasing moments of sensational football and sort of felt the kick the first two goals in the second half in the first couple of minutes. You thought, okay, maybe we'll turn this around and then Hawthorne just resumed normal service and really beat us all over the ground. As you say, the intensity was, was there for them. I wasn't sure they'd be able to keep up their enthusiasm for uh, covering off our, our spread and our, our switches and manning the markers as hard as they did, but they full credit to them, they did. They were always first to the ball, all over the ground, and that just, even on TV, you could tell that there was just a higher work rate from the Hawks. Even given that, we did a lot of things quite well. I think you post a few things in the, th- in the Match Day thread that... Structurally, we weren't doing too bad in some places. That that second quarter, we just had, I think, three or four occasions where we should have scored a goal or at least had a turnover in a good position and just inexplicable personnel errors caused us to, to stuff it up. We had Redden in the middle of the ground, missed a two-on-one, and they went down the other end and scored. We had Duggan and Barass dropping uncontested marks. Chain of handballs down the wing where the, the last handball from Petrucelli to get us out the back goes astray and all all those went straight to Hawthorne goals. So, yeah, a really funny game. But, geez, when, when we needed to have at least a solid performance, um, we absolutely just shat the bit big time. And, yeah, really disappointing. It's, it's tough for the guys to stew on for a few weeks and hopefully they come out breathing fire in the next game.
1: That is the hope and that's something that I think some of the more optimistic members of the board maybe have hung their hat on this week. Miguel, KK's just hit the nail on the head there in terms of the Hawks had all the numbers around the ball. Uh, we had forwards that couldn't get involved. We had backs that couldn't intercept when they got a clean look at it. It's just a nightmare of an evening. So what do we need to take away out of that Hawks game?
0: Uh, what not to do, I suppose. Yeah, it was just one of those nights where um, yeah, everything seemed to go wrong. The The connection between the midfield and the forward line was, um, was one of the, the main um, things that stuck out for me. And KK talked about, you know, some of Redden's passes that Redden had one pass and, you know, the passes that missed targets. But it, it seemed um, from the stands that there was a lot of sort of passing to players' backs and, you know, that they, they'd kick to a forward just as the forward was sort of turning around and changing his changing direction and so it would know, completely miss him. So the connection between the midfield and the forward line hasn't been a great thing for us this year, but it was really, really stark Saturday night. And yeah, our conversion going inside fifty. We didn't have a huge amount of inside fifties, but our conversion going in there was was really poor as well. Um, so yeah, we didn't give the forwards much chance. Um, Waterman missed a couple. Um, you know, Kennedy missed a couple that normally hit ice. Uh, even you no, know, Sheed the the ice man missed one. And yeah, so what do we take away from it? I don't know. It's it's a bit late to be sort of changing things at, at this stage of the year, but. I think we need to work on that—the connection between the mids and the forwards. Um, need to work on our contested ball. And obviously, the commentators are going on about this set of um, what is it—post clearance contested possessions.
1: That's the one. Last year it was yeah. ground balls, but that's this year's one.
0: Yeah, which whatever it is whatever's the, the critical stat of the, of the year. We seem to always rank eighteenth in it, um, which makes you wonder how we're doing as well as we are. But um, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how much work we can do on it in 10 days, but, um, yeah, they're the things that i would be working on.
1: Yeah, you spot on there. There's not a lot that you can take away and change or alter uh, or build off even as you try and escape that round 23. I mean, the impact of it is felt in the ladder position and in our seeding going into the finals. It's felt in not having a double chance. I mean, look, I'll say this. Gaff was good. Jetta was pretty good. Rioli was pretty good. Apart from that, and as KK touched on as well, just some inexplicable errors across the board. Although... It's now been two weeks where we've seen some inexplicable errors. So I wondered just how regular those are starting to be. Maybe they're creeping in. Or maybe the buy came at a good time. But, gents, pretty shocking game. We've all dwelled on it for long enough in our personal lives and in the week since, since Saturday night. So, for the podcast's sake, are you guys happy to bury that one and just move straight along?
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Never speak about it again. File it with the 2016
2: elimination final. Never happened.
1: G'day, Mitch Brown, if you're listening. All right, moving on to some more positive, more future-facing news. We've got some contract news from the club this morning uh, with Lewis Jetta and Jackson Nelson both extending their stay at the Eagles. So Jetta, the way it's worded, it seems like he's triggered an extension uh, in his contract, maybe one that was pre-existing in his current deal. So he will be with the club until at least the end of next year. Jackson Nelson, he signed a two-year deal to stay with the Eagles until the end of 2021. Now, Miguel, two different players that came into the side with different expectations, and, uh, you know, for for Jetta, he started slow and really built into it. Nelson also starting to build in as well. So do we have two pretty solid pieces going forward here, and what, what's your thoughts on this contract news?
0: Good news. that They've both been uh, Nelson's form in the, the second half of this year since he's been called up has been really good, minus maybe a couple of down games. Yeah, Jetta's uh, really found a new lease of life since he's uh, moved into the back line. Uh, He's excelling in that sort of the the sweeping Wirrupunda sort of role. Um, As you said, he was one of our best against Hawthorne. He did seem to get maybe one of his many calf injuries early on in the game, which might have hampered him a little bit. Uh, But, yeah, it's um, great to see him going on. Nelson probably was fairly long odds to get a new contract at the start of the year. Um, So, yeah, good to see him get another one. It does limit probably going beyond the bounds of this Discussion point, but it does sort of limit the number of moves we can make over the off seasons. We've um, we've got very few players now, I think, who are coming out of contract. So apart from a couple of obvious guys, it's difficult to see where the the uh, delistings are going to come. But yeah, um, yeah, good news for both of those, and uh, yeah, hopefully they're part of a premiership backline.
1: KK, like I said, both came in with differing levels of expectation. Jeddah off to a very slow start when he first arrived, but. He's since rounded into perhaps one of the more important players in our team. So for a guy like that to have just the one-year extension, is it the sort of thing you're expecting him to be an eagle for life? And it seems like this was just triggered. You know, he didn't sign this. So are you expecting him to be an eagle for life or do we have to read into that one-year deal?
2: I think it's probably an age thing as much as anything. And there has been in the last couple of years a few guys coming through in the back line. So I think it's... As simple as that, sort of keep the flexibility and um, as long as his body holds up, he'll probably be on that sort of rolling one-year deal until the end of his career. I don't think it's a sign that he's likely to be going going elsewhere. I think he'll, he'll be with us until until the body gets to the stage where he can't do what he what he can do and, and that'll be, be it for him. He's a WA boy. I wouldn't think he's going to move again. Um, I'm a huge Jetta fan. I think he gives us a real point of difference in our back line. I love – and he did a bit on on the weekend uh, when he actually runs the ball out of defence because it's it's something no one else in our back line is capable of doing. And when opposition defences are set up that – so that that distance, one-kick distance from the ball, having a guy who can run around a player, get that uh, extra 30 metres or so, it can really cause defences problems. And, um, yeah, I, I love him doing that. Nelson what I agree with Miguel is a bit um, it's a bit strange in terms of limiting our options and if we were looking at uh, guys that might need to be involved in the trade if we're trying to get Kelly across um, Nelson was probably a path that could be used in that so it's a bit bit strange timing for me but I'm happy he's had a good year I'm still not convinced he's going to be best 22 every week yeah good for him but I'm not that I'm not sold on it being a great decision.
1: So you've raised an interesting point. It's not something that I'd considered uh, at this stage of the season. Obviously, with finals still to play, you know I'm not getting super caught up in the list management side of things just yet. But while you've raised it, Miguel, I'll start with you and we'll have a look at it. The out-of-contract players as we head into 2020, we've got Archie, Matt Allen, Patrick Bynes, Hamish Brayshaw, Keegan Brooksby. We've got Chris Marston, Fraser McInnes, Kurt Mutimer, Brodie Riak, Will Schofield and Josh Smith. So there's still... Uh, some options there. You've got to make, I believe, four changes in every off-season. So there's still some options there. Is there anybody, if you had to pick maybe one or two, that's sticking their hand up as, all right, this is probably an indication that they will be one of the players moved along?
0: Mutimer, obviously, I think he's sort of a long, long way off, as good as he's been in Waffle. Um, Maddie Allen, you know, he's coming up to the end of his fourth season. If they're not going to debut him, then he's probably gone. Um, they're the two main ones, Maston and or Schofield could be sort of nudged towards retirement um, given that they're not you know they they're into their 30s now and then neither of them's sort of guaranteed best 22 they're in and out they've been in and out of the side probably the past three years so yeah the, the two of them coming out of contract could be moved um, other than that you know, maybe Brayshaw, you know he's looked good in the waffle but you know possibly a bit limited as a midfielder um, Archie. Uh, we'll certainly put his hand up on the weekend. We'll, mm. uh, we'll get to that. Um, but you know, there's a question of our midfield depth after the, um, the sort of the guys that we've got running around at the moment. Plus Hutchings, there's not a lot of depth there, so uh, he could survive for that reason. Yeah, they're, they're the main ones. Um, and the other thing to consider. Uh, sorry, I'm just talking about the senior list there. I think McInnes, whether they keep him, will probably um, be dependent on whether he wants to hang around as captain of the, of the waffle side. I don't know whether Brooksby will get another contract. Uh, I don't know whether they'll persist with Bynes, although he hasn't really had a good run at it this year. Um, Off the rookie list, Francis Watson, I think, needs to be promoted to the senior list this year. So that's um, another senior list spot that we've got to find. So, yeah, uh, Mutimer and Allen, I think, are gone. And then there's a few other moves that they could make. So while we're still
1: on some contracts, we'll talk about somebody who is definitely cemented in the best 22. Uh, there's been some conjecture about Andrew Gaff's deal. He signed last off-season. There's been uh, mixed reports as to the length of it. There's been some reports recently about out clauses or player options, this sort of thing. So today Gaff uh, spoke to the media. He was just the eagle that was up for the regular press duties and he was asked about the contract and KK, the answer that he pretty much said was that, yep, I'm here, I'm happy, I love the coaches, I love the players – and uh, he tried as best as possible to put this story to bed. So it's a little way out from that reported end of twenty twenty trigger date to to have a, an early out. Is this the sort of thing where you can buy into these words and you can believe it? I don't really know what else he he could have said in the situation. So how seriously do we need to take this statement from Andrew Gaff that he's all in?
2: Oh, I think he's he's been pretty upfront in every dealing he's had with the club, hasn't he? So I I don't see a reason to to doubt it now. Even last year, when all the speculation was there, I, I genuinely believe he didn't know what he was going to do until until the end of the season. If he says uh, he's in for the long term, then yeah, I I believe him. I think last year was sort of the time to move. If he was gonna gonna move back, and and he didn't, so yeah, he'll be with us for an eagle for life. I think.
1: Right, lastly on contracts, there was some AFLW team news this week with the Eagles set to field their inaugural team next season. They announced six new signings, Haley Bullis, Ashton Hill, Danica Piscinari, Emily Maguire, Beatrice Devlin and Emily Bonza. So congratulations to those ladies. The AFLW memberships are on sale on the Eagles' website as well. I'm pretty sure they're only, I think, $50 maybe and you get in as a foundation member. So good option there and congratulations to those girls on the contracts last piece of news for the week there was a great announcement in regards to the list management and list building side of things and that is that Darren Glass will be returning to the club he's going to take over as the new list manager now obviously that was uh, the void that Brady Rawlings has left and he's on his way to North Melbourne I believe he starts there in December Miguel is that right he's already left the club yeah he starts there in December I believe and then Glassy's going to start in that November December region as well is my understanding so Miguel Glassy, yeah he's been an assistant under Alistair Clarkson now for a couple of years, he's obviously a, an icon in the Eagles. Uh, you know, you don't need any any history there for his playing credentials. His business credentials look like they stack up. From a few of the uh, Eagle-eyed and all a few of the keen big footy members who have posted a bit of his LinkedIn profile there. So cheers for that. Uh, how how do you feel about getting Glassy back into the club and in the list management side of things?
0: Oh, it's great to have him back. Uh, yeah, it didn't look right seeing him in a Hawthorne polo on the weekend. Yeah, he's sort of, he seems to have followed a fairly similar path to Rawlings, which is sort of, you know, starting off in coaching and going into, you know, a development coach at another club and Rawlings was a a coach here as well. And then sort of shifting from that into list management. Um, Yeah, he's got the the business background as well, which is good. Yeah. And I don't know, we were all pretty happy, I think, with Rawlings' job. So uh, good to get him back and, and fill that void. Not sure when he comes across. I think the club has stuck Rawlings on gardening leave because they don't want him at North Melbourne uh, during the, the trade and draft period, knowing uh, with, with his insider knowledge of, of the Eagles, any Eagles strategy or anything. So, yeah, he's been uh, set off and twiddling his thumbs and yeah, he won't be allowed to start there until after all that's finished. And I don't know, maybe Hawthorne have done the same thing or a similar thing, although you know, if Glass is in the coaching staff and not in the footy department, then um, maybe it's a bit different for him.
1: KK, it's an icon of the club. Uh, it's not exactly... I mean, the optics of it look a little bit jobs for the boys, but it's Darren Glass, so who bloody cares? What are your thoughts on getting him back into the club?
2: I think any time we can get some IP out of Hawthorne, it's a good move. They're, they really are probably the best run club going around off-field um, in terms of the footy department anyway, and even if Glass wasn't, a legend of the club it'd be good a good signing and i'm with you guys it never looked right seeing him in another jumper it'll be be great to see him back and the uh business side i'm not across but i think um it shows he's sort of got the the intellect to succeed in a few different fields and i think that's um that's probably a skill worth having when you're looking at a, a list management position
1: Injury news, and there was actually no official injury news this week from the club, so we'll have to make do with last week's update. Firstly, as although it's not really been made official, the club is not doing a lot to dispel the rumours that Nick Nat is ready and good to go for the elimination final. Simo's talking about how he's training well and he's still got some boxes to tick, but it all seems to be trending in the right direction. Uh, Gaffy, as I said earlier, did a press conference this morning. He acknowledged that Nick Nat was going to be uh, ready to go and having him out there is a, is a big boost, so... It's trending in the right direction in that regard. But as I mentioned, no official injury list. So extrapolating from last week's, it looks like Hutchings will have one to two weeks with a hamstring and Josh Smith is either a test or one week also with a hamstring. Uh, Miguel, the club, is in pretty healthy straits at the moment. We've got Brander and Venables still done for the season. But aside from that... Everybody seems to be available or trending in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I think so. Not that it's relevant to the AFL, but it might be relevant to the waffle. Um, Braden Ainsworth didn't play on the weekend for reasons that haven't been uh, given. So, yeah, I don't know whether he'll be available for the uh, cut-through waffle elimination final this weekend. But, yeah, certainly in terms of our best 22, once we get Nick Nat back, then it's probably only Hutchings that we're waiting on, which is a really good position to be in.
1: And KK, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, because we will talk optimism later on, but the Nick return, it's something that's been much discussed. It was always going to be the main headline heading into the finals. So what do you make of the current news and the, and the rumours and the murmurings that are coming out of the club? Well, the most
2: recent news was good. So no news is good news as far as I'm concerned. Let's just keep it going. And he's the one thing that gives me hope for the rest of the year. Um, if we are going to do some damage in the finals, it's it's going to be the boost from having him in the team. So fingers crossed that everything's still on track.
1: Miguel touched on it just then. There was a crucial waffle result on the weekend and indeed a crucial waffle game coming up now. The Beagles managed to do what the Eagles couldn't do and that was secure that final game victory. They did so to the tune of 12-10-82. They defeated East Fremantle 8-11-59. The victory saw them finish fourth. So a fantastic result in the inaugural standalone waffle season. And the the standouts, the, the players that really put their hand up Brendan Archie was terrific. So he had 25 disposals. He also had four goals and was the clear standout on the day. Now, Miguel, we might as well unpack this one just quickly on its own. We've seen Archie in the side this year briefly. We saw him in and around the side last year. He was an emergency on grand final day. So there's obviously some familiarity and, and some comfortability with turning to Archie. Do you think a performance like this is enough to put his hand up to actually play some finals footy?
0: Difficult to know where to squeeze him in, even though the side played pretty poorly across the board on the weekend. Um, It looks fairly settled and difficult. I I don't think he's going to squeeze anyone out of the forward line, um, particularly when we we can't find room for Cameron in there and um, we're probably going to have to drop a Waterman or an Allen to fit uh, Nat Nui in there. Um, And the midfield is pretty settled as well. So I think the only way he gets in for finals is through injuries, but he's probably... Along with Hutchings, once he's fit, he's probably sort of the next midfielder in if we do need one.
1: Just rounding out the Waffle standouts from the weekend, Schofield was terrific, 22 disposals and 7 marks. He's certainly somebody that will be a much-discussed inclusion as we look forward next week to the Essendon game. Uh, Rotham was as classy as ever, always a solid Waffle player and, and a bit stiffed perhaps to even lose his spot in the first place in the AFL side. Vardy was pretty solid also, so there's some good signs as we shape for AFL Finals. But speaking of finals, the Beagles do indeed play their first ever finals. Despite finishing fourth and finishing above West Perth, they will travel to West Perth this week at Joondalup Arena, 2.40pm this Sunday. So good activity for you guys on Father's Day. Take your dad, take your family, take your kids. Everybody just get out there and support the Beagles because whilst they may be holding a few guys over uh, for the AFL game on Thursday, they still should be fielding a really solid side and have a good opportunity to win their first ever final. (laughs) The other bit of news this week, and it's a huge one, it dominates the AFL landscape, rightly so, is of course the All-Australian Award. Now, this one's a little bit uh, sort of hot off the presses, I suppose, because the ceremony is still going on. And as such, we do not have the full results. So we're doing this one a little bit on the fly, but we might as well get through it now before we turn our attention to the AFL Finals. Look, what we can say for sure is that the Eagles have seven players in the 40-man squad, which was the most of any team. So Jack Darling, Luke Shuey, Elliot Yo, Andrew Gaff, Shannon Hearn, Brad Shepard and Jeremy McGovern all made the shortlist. We've got a couple of the official results through already. Jack Darling has made the squad, which is fantastic news. He's the first Eagle to be formally announced in the team. But uh, a couple of lines yet to be announced. And KK, they're the ones that you'd expect to feature a few Eagles, namely that half-back line.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's the I'm looking at the all Australian team at the moment. There's a the blank on the half back line and with McGovern, Hearn and Shepherd in the squad, um, you'd hope to get some representation. There's no there. hoping. Oh, it's oh, just yeah.
1: come in. It is literally just come in. This is the problem with podcasts is that people are going to be listening to this after the fact, but this is as fresh as it gets. This is brand spanking new news. Centre half back, Jeremy McGovern, half back flank, Shannon Hearn, and Bashahooli also rounds out that half back line KK.
2: You have to get the two guys in. I think, um, I'm not sure McGovern's had as good a year as he has in previous years, although the stats say otherwise. Um, Hearn had a great year, um, though he did miss a few games, and probably his last two games back, he may as well have missed them, because he's been pretty ordinary, and i bit disappointed for Shepard, I think out of all our backs, he's, he's probably the one who's had the career best year and would have been nice to see him recognised. So I'm happy for the guys that are in that Shepard's a bit stiff to miss out. I can't really complain about who getting in though. He's had a a ripper of a season for Richmond as well. And you're never going to get three guys on the one line from one team, especially when you finish fifth on the ladder. Absolutely (laughs) not. We've done probably pretty well to get as many squad reps and say, as we stand at least three final 22 representatives.
1: So Miguel, KK just pointed out, we've had the three thus far. We've got McGovern, we've got Hearn, who could potentially be the captain, fingers crossed. We've also got Jack Darling, a terrific year from him. Uh, now, the remainders, we've got Shuey, we've got Yo we've got Gaff, uh, and we've also got Shepard, although I think it's unlikely. So you've got Shuey, Yo and Gaff all still there with the interchange to be named. There's rumours that Yo is probably going to be in. How do you think that fits in terms of the season that he's had and, and how great is it to have three or even potentially four guys represented in the All-Australian team?
0: Yeah, I think Yo, um, given the publicity he's had um, during the season with you know, Gary Lyons saying he's the best player in the comp and stuff like that, I think he'll get another spot on the bench. Uh, his year has been really good. Mind you, So's Shoey's. I think, you know, just... All the rumours going around um, were that he he's still in Perth, um, based off his social media. Uh, same with Shepard. Gaff did a presser at the club today, so he's not likely to be there. Um, mind you, Hearn's still in Perth, but he's just been named. Yeah, um, Fourian, I think that's sort of the best we've ever done. Equal with the best we've ever done. We've done it a few times, but yeah, all of the all seven of those guys have had really good seasons and. Um, yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be really competitive for the uh, the medal at the end of the year.
1: Right, it's always good for controversy. The All Australian side, KK. I will start with you. Now it's a bit tough because we haven't seen the bench yet, so we don't have the full side. But of the players that have been listed thus far, of the eighteen who have been named, who is the one that sticks out to you? Where you think, oh God, how did he get in?
2: Oh God, I really don't watch enough uh, football for that one. No, no,
1: don't say um... that. Just <laughs> Can I take that one. Just just wildly sling crap at everybody.
0: <laughs> Tom <laughs> is Hawkins Dan- isn't full forward. He didn't even did he come third in the Coleman? Not like normally full forward is is the Coleman medalist.
2: Has Dangerfield been that good this year? Is he a bit getting in the reputation? Let's have
1: a look. Well we'll start with the Coleman. So Jack Darling and uh, sorry, Jack Darling kicked fifty four goals, Tom Hawkins fifty two. Tom Lynch also kicked fifty-four, not in the side. Ben Brown sixty four, not yet named. Charlie Cameron and Jeremy Cameron both named rightfully so. Uh so the Tom Hawkins one's a bit of a head scratcher. Now with Geelong finishing top, I can see why they fell in love with the Dangerfield story, but uh yeah, maybe not maybe not a you know, a, a Brownlow calibre season from him, let's say. So hopefully that ages quite well and next week we don't find out that he's won the Brownlow. But uh yeah, there's a couple of head scratchers so far in the eighteen. Not to get on my rant, not to get on my high horse, but Dylan Grimes can piss off. That was just the Alex Rance makeup call. Get stuffed, mate. Nowhere near as good as Shep. Uh, But all in all, the All-Australian side, KK, it's it's a strong side as it often is, but they seem to have stuck pretty rigidly to positions this year rather than just trying to force mids in everywhere. So at least that's nice. Yeah, you
2: you talk about maybe us going too tall in the back line at times. They've got McGovern, Andrews, Grimes and Stewart back there. And then Cooley and Hearn who aren't really known for their pace. So... Might be a bit of a lopsided back line if that was the the actual team you're putting out.
1: Alright, who would you take? We'll start we'll we'll do this discussion very quickly. Miguel, I'll start with you. So the forward line is Darling Hawkins, Cameron, Cameron, Walters Dangerfield. That's your forward line, right? The back line, Hooley Hearn McGovern, Stuart Andrews Grimes. Now it's all a bit there's a lot of names there and it's all a bit, you know, do it in your head. But Match-up-wise, they seem to actually fit remarkably well, you know, height for height. Uh, is there a standout line there that you pick the forwards over the backs or the backs over the forwards?
0: Um, yeah, they they do match up pretty well. Uh, rebounding the ball out of defence, as KK said, is going to be an issue. Um, uh, Hearn and Hooley are, are good kicks. Yeah, McGovern and Stewart are good kicks as well. But, yeah, there's not a lot of pace there. There's not sort of a a jetter equivalent of you know someone running out of the back line or... Um, or, you know, a Saad or someone like that. Not that Saad was sort of in the mix for All-Australian, but yeah, so yeah, um, if the ball's coming in coming in quickly from the All-Australian midfield, then they might struggle to stop it.
2: I'm not sure there's anyone in that back line that wouldn't ship themselves playing on Walters or Charlie Cameron.
1: Mm, very good. Good point. Yeah, it's an interesting one. The, I mean, I suppose who is the side pick to match up against? It's just your recognition of your best players in theory, but... Congratulations to, well, everybody in a way, but more importantly, congratulations to the Eagles that made the team. Thus far, we have three. We're going to move along to uh, some finals chat now, but fingers crossed that Elliot Yo also makes the side on the interchange. And if that is announced while we're still chatting, I'll be sure to uh, wildly interrupt and just yell platitudes and congratulations to Yeoey.
0: You'll get the news here first, listeners, um, although you will have already got the news by the time you download this. Okay, moving
1: on to finals. It is the pointy end of the season. It's the whole reason we're doing this. And basically, the equation has been made very clear for the Eagles due to a couple of frustrating results at the end of the season. We are fifth. We all know that that means there is no double chance. So it's all just win, 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 win from here. We have to win four games in a row to go back to back. And the ladder position, not where we expected it to be. Uh, We've seen glimpses of some good footy, we've seen glimpses of some absolutely abysmal footy. So without actually getting into the Essendon game, we'll save that for next week and we'll do a proper full preview next week. But this week I thought we should talk about a best case and a worst case scenario style discussion. You know, Why should we be optimistic? What do we need to be pessimistic or cautious about as we head towards finals? So let's get the bad news out of the way first and then we'll finish up on a nice, nice positive note. KK, I'll start with you. What are the main reasons for concern for you as we head into this final series?
2: Starting from fifth, I think it's the biggest one. You look at all the like the first matchup and then all the potential matchups individually, you say like, yeah, I mean, we've beat Essendon. we've beat Collingwood at the G already, Geelong have been a bit shaky, Brisbane, maybe the occasion might get the better of them, and I'd love to have another crack at Richmond in dry conditions. Um, And I think we're flat out better teams than the Giants or the Bulldogs, who probably wouldn't beat them anyway. But uh, to beat three of those top four in consecutive weeks, all the way from home, that is, yeah, that that's getting into miracle territory there.
1: Miguel, the worst case is pretty clear. Your worst case scenario is turning up not prepared, getting rolled over by Essendon, and bounced in the first round of finals. Uh, It would be a pretty unceremonious way to end a premiership defence. So maybe moving beyond that, that absolute worst-case scenario, just as we look into the Essendon game, perhaps beyond the Essendon game, but just for the final series in general, what are the things that concern you? What are the outcomes that really worry you?
0: Oh, the, I suppose the outcome that worries me is not making um, a preliminary final. Um, that would be a pretty um, pretty disappointing end to, to our premiership defence and, and a year where we've been sort of top four for most of the year which would mean that we've lost in a way the semi-final has to be at the MCG, doesn't it? Um, yep. it'll be the Geelong or Collingwood. So it means we've lost that. Um, yeah, losing either of those would be disappointing. I think, um, we could have the measure of either of those sides on the MCG and we have in the past with Collingwood and, um, uh, Geelong don't play it as well as Cadinia Park, which they've, uh, has been a fortress for them, particularly against us recent times. So, uh, we'd have a pretty good chance there. It making a prelim, I think, is from this point on a decent result. Winning a prelim, which would be our second week in a row at the MC, um, either at the MCG or on the East Coast, could be Brisbane, would be a really good result. Winning a, a third away final to win a flag would be really, really memorable and you know, probably even surpassed last year's um, surprise flag in terms of you know, just the uh, um, what it means to the club. So... Yeah, my, um, my expectations have been a bit tempered after the weekend um, where, you know, previously I was looking up flights. Uh, yeah, this coming from fifth now and, and facing three straight weeks on the road, it's going to be um, a huge, huge effort just to, to make the grand final, let alone win a, a back-to-back
1: flag. KK, we'll move into optimism in a second. But before we do that, let's talk about these skill errors because we we all touched on it up top in the Hawks brief review. We talked about it last week in the Richmond game as well. There are a couple of what we believed to be uncharacteristic skill errors, individual mistakes, just things you wouldn't see, you wouldn't bank on happening in September. But yet, it has to be said, we saw them two weeks in a row. So is that something that you think we need to be you know, on the lookout for and we actually need to really expect that this is just who we are or are you still willing to put it down to two scratchy weeks at the office?
2: I think it's, I think class is permanent forms temporary as they say. I think say, so Barras has been probably the main culprit for a lot of it. I think it's a, it's a confidence thing at the moment whether he's going to get that confidence back in the heat of an elimination final or if um, he needs to go away from the spotlight, I don't know. Um, Duggan looked pretty rusty on the weekend, but I think he'll be better for the run. Hearn hasn't really looked fit since he's been back, so maybe the, the a week off will sort him out. And I, I think they were probably the sort of three main culprits of those bad errors. And and maybe, particularly on the weekend, we we'd put enough pressure on Hawthorne to force them into mistakes. I mean, a lot of the mistakes we've made in the last couple of weeks have been under the sort of pressure that we haven't put our opponents under. So I think that's probably the biggest turn around is, even if we can't minimise our own errors, make sure that we're forcing the opposition into making them as well. And then on the balance, that that will serve us in better stead. All
1: right, let's talk optimism, because it's been in low availability across the board. It's been a pretty dire week on the Eagles board this week. A lot of melting, a lot of criticism, most of it warranted, to be fair. So, Miguel... I'll throw to you here, and let's let's change the mood on the board. So everybody listening to this, chin up! It's going to be all right, and Miguel's about to tell you why. Why do we need to be optimistic? What is your best case outcome for the Eagles in this final series?
0: Uh, we can be optimistic because Nat Nui's back uh, or coming back, and he will solve all our problems. Um, apart from that, uh, look, none of the none of the individual matchups that we're facing over the next three weeks, at least, should hold too much. Uh, in the way of concern for us, um, hoping that the Hawthorne game is a bit of a blip and an outlier and not really indicative of where we are this season. We have shown, uh, and we showed in the first half against Richmond, or the first quarter at least against Richmond, that our best football is very, very good and will stand up and um, probably beat anyone. So we, we should beat Essendon, really. We can go in with a reasonable amount of confidence against either Geelong or Collingwood uh, in the semi-final. We can go in with a reasonable amount of confidence against Richmond uh, at the MCG, knowing that we got within a goal of them when we weren't playing our best. Um, We can go in with a reasonable amount of confidence against Brisbane at the Gabba. Um, Even though we lost their first start, we will have learnt our lesson from that. And um, they're a young side, uh, who, with not too much finals experience, uh, they've probably got about a combined 20 finals between them and 19 of those will be Hodge. And who else have we, who else have we got? That's all the matchups that are, are facing us, really, unless someone like a Bulldogs gets through. So, um, yeah, we, we certainly can still do it. Um, the season's not over, but it's just the cumulative uh, three-away games is, is going to make it difficult, but certainly not impossible.
1: Nah, shove you difficult. I don't want to hear about it. I want to hear about optimism and what you said there as a very key point in there and and that is that, to me still, our best is the best. I think our best football is the best in the league. KK touched on it in the Hawks review that we even saw it in patches, albeit very, very brief patches. But like you said, uh, Miguel, we've seen them take it up to Richmond at the G. We've seen our best footy absolutely tear sides apart. Teams cannot get close to us when we have our high possession game in full gear. Now, Kennedy's slowing down, and I'll acknowledge that. And I'll say that let's you know, let's say he doesn't bounce back for finals because I think that is a bit to expect. So Kennedy doesn't bounce back. This is just who Josh Kennedy is. Even with that, still our forward line is largely the most dangerous forward line in the comp. It's certainly not, it couldn't be lower than second or third. The back line went on song is terrific. The midfield last year, if you if you take every midfield in the comp and you say they all play at their best, maybe our midfield doesn't crack into that top whatever you know, that very upper echelon two, three, four, five, six group. Or if it does, it might be in that five, six range. But the unit, the machine, the system, when it all is going and it's all firing, teams can't get the ball, they can't pressure us, they can't stop us from doing what we want to do and they can't get into what they want to do. So the way that we deny teams the ball and the way that when we're on our precision ball movement limits the options for the other teams, they've pretty much just got to wait for our dangerous forward line to get it and then hope that we miss the shot. So... I'm not saying it's reasonable to expect we'll come out and just hang 20 goals on every team in the finals, just romp through. Obviously, it isn't. But if you're talking reasons for optimism, our best is still the best. KK, what are your thoughts? What do we have to look forward to as we shape towards finals?
2: I think you're absolutely right. That first quarter against Richmond is probably the best footy that any team's played all year, and that wasn't even two weeks ago. So if we can find it and do it for long enough, then we can beat anyone. You think about... Other optimistic reasons, um, every team lost six games at least this year. Everyone's beatable. Geelong had some sneakers. Brisbane lost to Fremantle and Carlton. R- Richmond, uh, say so the Fortress, the MCG, but we almost beat them a couple of weeks ago. So everyone's everyone's beatable. And uh, the biggest probably concern for me going into the finals, like the fixtures I really wanted to avoid was Richmond at the MCG or... Brisbane at the Gabba, and we have to play one of those um, the way that the finals have fallen out. So that's, um, that's a bit of a, a downer for me. I'm really going to be rooting hard for the Bulldogs, uh, particularly if they play Richmond in week two. I think that's probably the best chance to open up the, the draw for everyone, is if um, Richmond have a couple of bad weeks and get rolled. So that's another cause for optimism.
1: So as I said, we're not going to dive into the individual match-up with Essendon and the elimination final just yet. We'll do that one next week. But briefly, before we move away from finals, Miguel, I'll start from you. We've we've talked optimism, and obviously there are a few reasons to be concerned or cautious as we head into September. But your general vibe in the club, we're going to have that week off. It might have come at a good time. So maybe moving beyond the Hawks game and just trying to have a little bit more of a broad view of it, what, what are your feelings as we shape towards September?
0: Uh, I, I think we've we've struggled all year to put four quarters together. We've we've shown you know those really great quarters uh, like the one against Richmond, um, but you know, struggled to put four quarters on the board, particularly against uh, good sides. I would like to have seen one of those at least before finals. It's it's uh, maybe asking a bit much to. Um, to switch that on for finals. Um, you, know, you you talk about teams peaking at the right time uh, and I'm not sure we've peaked yet, but possibly we've left our run too late. Um, so, yeah, I'm not hugely optimistic that we'll get any further than a prelim, unfortunately. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's finals footy. Anything can happen. You know, I wasn't, even this time last year, I wasn't hugely um, confident that we could get through a prelim into a grand final going back to 2016 no one even during the Bulldogs fairytale run no one would have thought that they'd make a grand final uh, having to play uh, in Perth first up and, and having to go to Sydney as well in the prelims so yeah anything can happen.
2: KK your mood as we shape towards September? My head says it's going to be maybe a bit 2012 that we'll do a number on and everything's hunky-dory again and then we'll go to DG and we'll We'll lose a heartbreaker and that'll be the premiership defence done and dusted. Convince me otherwise.
1: Prove me wrong. <laughs> Moving on to question time. Before we get stuck into your questions this week, there is the All-Australian announcement that has come through officially. Elliot Yo is in the side. He's on the interchange bench and it is, not without time, a fantastic reward for him. He's been back-to-back uh, Best and Fairest winner, Warsfold Medal winner for the Eagles. He's every chance to go back-to-back-to-back this year. So to see him build that profile and get the All-Australian reward is fantastic. Less fantastic, AFL's Twitter account has named the bench thusly Scott Pendlebury Collingwood, Max Gone Melbourne, Jack McRae Western Bulldogs, Elliot Yo Richmond. So congratulations to Richmond's Elliot Yo on the All-Australian selection. Question time. CM9000 asks, and it's a very interesting one as we talk about that, that fall away in the back end of the year. How significant has the loss of Sam Mitchell been? It's something that was brought up in the off-season. When we had that rough start, it was definitely a talking point, but then it was smoothed over a little bit during that great run of, of form in the middle of the year. So just quickly, a, a quick statistical profile, I suppose, of the season. Our clearance numbers this year have actually improved. So we average 40.2 this year, which is 6th. That's up from 36.6 last year, which was 12th. But the rest, it's not great reading for the rest. The inside 50s, we've gone backwards, down from 53.4 last year to 50. So 7th best down to 15th best for inside 50s. Contested possession, similar story. 143.8 last year, that was 11th. It's down to 136 this year, which is dead last in the comp. Uh, And also the hit-out figures. Now, perhaps this explains... The lack of midfield cohesion, or perhaps it's down to Sam Mitchell, but the hitouts have gone backwards in a big way. Forty-five per game last year, which was fourth best, now it's down to thirty-five point nine this year, thirteenth best. So no Nat Nui, but also no Sam Mitchell. Miguel, I'll start with you. How significant do you think that coaching change has been to our midfield?
0: I, I think the hitouts, just to start with that, I think is more sort of personnel. We've um, we've really gone away from. Um, playing the two genuine rucks which we did all last year and we were sort of one of the few clubs to do that um, we've gone away from that and you now we've played for most of the season hickey um, with Oscar Allen pinch hitting so I think that explains the hit outs and then maybe to um, a lesser extent the clearances following on from that as well. Yeah difficult from the outside to say what what influence Mitchell has had um, all I'll say is that a lot of the same stuff was being said uh, in 2016 about Pike when we lost him across to Adelaide and and had a bit of a dip in form as a result. That um, you know it was suggested that he was the he was the reason for the success. That uh, wasn't really down to Simpson and yeah um, uh, Simpson's outperformed Pike since then. So you now is he, Mitchell's a really good football brain, obviously, and um and he's a loss, but it's you know, difficult to say from the outside how much of a loss he's been.
1: KK, your thoughts on the absence of Sam Mitchell and what it's meant for our system? I had a bit
0: of a chuckle recently
2: at all the, the Don Pike comments. Um, people saying, oh, maybe David Teague was the <laughs> was the brains behind the operation in 2017. It's like it sounds so much what we were saying when Pike left. And I think the truth of the matter is that from the outside, we were pretty ignorant about what impact certain individuals are having around the club. Well, I think, I think we've missed him. I, I think he is... A real smart footy brain. He was a, one of the smartest players I've seen in, in recent history. We probably missed someone to chuck some Gatorade bottles at our midfield from time to time as well, um,
1: without it, question. It's obviously
2: it's not Simo's mo, um, and maybe he's missing that that bad cop offside at, at times. I, I think with the hitouts, Miguel's right that it is a bit of a personnel change. But I noticed particularly at times in the Richmond game we had Allen against. Soldo, um, and he was getting absolutely killed in the middle. But we were still setting up as if we had a decent chance to win the hit outs. and I don't know if we've adapted well enough, and I think, I think Mitchell would have been the sort of guy that would have been smart enough to really pick up on that and look for our strategies if we're not going to have a dominant Ruckman.
1: So let's keep it in the coaching sphere, and we'll take this question from The Harry, who asked us, how long until people call for Simpson's head Now, Miguel, we saw pressure on Simo in 2017, and the the, the pressure and the expectation to deliver is obviously very high at the Eagles. He's bought himself loads of time with the 2018 campaign and the flag, obviously. But, you know, a little bit of pressure and a little bit of underperforming this year. If we were to fall down in the finals and maybe start the year a little bit slowly next season, how long do you think it would take before Simo found himself on a bit of a hot seat?
0: Uh... Quite a long time, I think. Um, I I wasn't sure whether that was a serious question, to be honest. What's the quickest that a coach has been sacked after winning a premiership? Uh, How long did Choco Williams last at Port after 2004? Putting aside Malthouse, who the the succession plan was already in place before before
2: the 2010 premiership. Choco was there for life. Four or five years after that, I think. 2010. Yeah, and he's sort he finished of, in
1: 2010, so he was still there for a good while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, apart from that, apart from the Multi House succession plan, and maybe to a lesser extent as well, the, the Ruse succession plan with Longmire, um, yeah, premiership coach, coaches get quite a bit of, uh, of um, runs in the bank and runs in the bank. That's this week. Runs on the board.
1: That's, the, that's our one.
0: Runs on the board. Very good. Um, so, yeah, he is. Uh, a long, long way away from being in any danger whatsoever.
1: I'm not sure how these final two weeks have affected this stat, but this was at least correct as of two weeks ago in that since Simpson started, we've won the most games. We've won, since 2015, the most finals, most grand final appearances, obviously, with two. We've won a flag. It's it's pretty remarkable that the bar for success and, and the expectation is so high that you can even consider questioning somebody who's delivered what Simpson has delivered in such a short space of time. But KK, do you think that there is scope for pressure on Adam Simpson in 2020 if things start falling away from where we'd like them to be?
2: I don't see it. It would have to be an absolute stinker of a season. I don't see that happening without a major injury crisis that would mitigate the criticism of the coach anyway. No, it's too many runs in the bank. And as you say, he's been consistent good seasons in a, in a row. Yeah, I can't see why that's that's going to drop off. If it turns um, how long till he's on the hot seat, I mean, people were calling for his head in the, the game day thread last week, so maybe he's already on the hot seat. But in terms of serious um, serious questions, it, it, it's a long way to go, I would have thought. Well,
1: that will do it from us for this week. It was not the greatest start to the week in terms of Eagles footy, but the buyers come at a great time. The Beagles are playing good footy and they have a final on this weekend. So there's still plenty to be focused on as we head towards Sunday's final in the waffle, as we head towards the next Thursday's elimination final in the AFL. Congrats to the four all Australians from the West coast Eagles. And thanks very much for listening. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer them next week. So feel free to send those through aside from that. It's been fantastic chatting to you yet again. And, Miguel, thanks for coming on the pod.
0: Yeah, no worries. Sorry, I was just trying to look up to see whether um, they named the captain and vice-captain to see whether Hearn gets robbed again. But, yeah, sorry, people, if you're hanging out for that news, I don't think we'll have it in time.
1: If if you're hanging out for that news from what will be yesterday now, uh, I feel very sorry for you. But I can prematurely say congratulations to Gary Ablett on the legacy captaincy, which is what we do now. That's how we pick it, apparently. Anyway, KK... Let's move away, let's get all that negativity out of the system and just say, once again, thank you for coming on the pod. That'd be really
2: left field, picking a captain who wasn't even in the team. But um, wow. I guess they could do that.
1: They could do that. Did he not make it? I just assumed no, he'd I... make it.
2: <laughs> no, he didn't.
1: Far out. That would be left field. Although, you know, I'm not putting it oh. past him. Nah. Well, Coach, who's not
2: inaugural All-Australian player, coach.
1: That's it. Alright, well here we go. Let's let's quickly do this before we sign off. Now we don't have the captain named but we do have the full team named. I'm trying to get my head around it now because obviously I thought Gaz was in. But KK, I'll start with you. Who do you think is going to be named as the captain?
2: I reckon it might. I think Hearn will do it. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they won't want to screw him two years in a row. So Hearn will get it. Miguel?
0: Um, did Pendlebury make the final side?
2: He made the bench, yep.
0: Yeah, I think they'll give it to him. Uh, and I think the unofficial reason for Hearn missing out will be the fact that uh, he's not at the ceremony.
1: Which is a laughable,
0: laughable yeah, so thing to pick an entire no, that, career
1: achievement on. But yeah,
0: that's, that's why they'll do it. Even though he's the reigning... Um, you know, he's now a um, back-to-back All-Australian and he's the reigning premiership captain. They'll leave him out for that reason.
1: Uh, I agree with what KK said. I think that last year will get him the captaincy this year. Uh, and if it's not that, I reckon they will give it to Cripps because Carlton, with a good news story on the back end of the season and I think they copped a lot of flack for that legacy award stuff last year. I think they'll they'll pick one of the captains who is in the side and say Cripps. So there's a little bit of a left field choice or sticking with my original, Gary Ablett. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. We will talk to you next week for a very in-depth preview of the Essendon final. We'll answer all your questions and we'll get all the latest news as it comes out. So be sure to check us out next week. If you'd like to give us a review, feel free to do so on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast and we will talk to you next time. Bye now.
2: Cheers, guys. Bye.